0: So turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. As you guys are turning there, I'll tell you some of my uh, tentative titles for this sermon. Uh, The first one is My Best Advice. Put on Christ. I like that one because it rhymes. Uh, The second one is clothe yourself with Christ and never go out of style. Uh, Let me know which one you guys like most later, and Jesse can put that as the title when it goes on podcast. Are you guys there? Hopefully, that was a little bit entertaining. Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when, it first, when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of lights. Let us behave decently. As in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Last week, uh, Wilson, he preached from Romans 13 uh, the The early passage of this, and we were challenged by scripture, both our scripture and our pastor, with this command to love one another. But it wasn't just this love in the sense where we all hang out and have a good time, because that's nothing special. That's something that the rest of the world can do. That's not unique or rare. We see it's easy to be a community. There's whole shows devoted to it. There's friends and Literally, a show called Community. But rather, what sets us apart, what we were called to be as a community of love is we were called to love each other in the Spirit, to fulfill the law by loving as Christ loves. That looks like speaking biblical truth to one another, asking each other the hard and good questions, showing sacrificial love in our actions. Because if we don't, like, what kind of church are we going to be? If we don't love like this, if we don't fulfill that command, won't we be left discontent? Won't we come to church bored asking, is this it? Is there anything more than just this? And so since Wilson's here, I get to talk to him a a little bit. Uh, And I get to to share, uh, without raising up his ego, Hopefully he doesn't listen to the podcast. But if I'm honest, uh, Wilson, his paschal messages like have made me cry. Right? And it's been a while since I've cried in a message. Uh, I think listening to podcast preachers has kind of spoiled me. like Being able to listen to like great speakers like Matt Chandler, John Piper, Francis Chan. But I think what I was really blessed by Wilson's paschal messages is he was personally preaching the word of God in a way that a podcast preacher couldn't. He was speaking to us. When he, told, when he was unpacking the command to love one another, he, he, he preached it to us. He knew us as a church where we, where we were strong and where we fell short, and he preached the word of God. And so I was crying, and there were good tears. And I was glad because I wasn't the only one I remember a couple weeks ago, after Wilson was done preaching, a sister in Christ turned to me and she was like, her her eyes were a little watery, and she was like, Man, am I the only one that feels attacked? And I told her, No, I, I feel it too. But we knew that it wasn't this bad kind of attack, it was a good attack. It was this thing called conviction. Yes, me, Patrick Fisher, I was convicted by the word of God because I saw my own lack of love for others. And we got to understand what conviction is. Uh, my first Padawan, my first mentee, uh, he would he thought for a long time he thought condemnation and conviction were the same thing. Hope you guys don't think that as well. But condemnation is bad, right? Just throwing that out there. Condemnation, it's from Satan. It leads to despair. It ends in sorrow. It makes us think we can't change. It makes us run away from Christ. It brings this vague uncertainty about sin. It has us looking to ourselves, and ultimately it's a burden. Condemnation is what Satan wants to do to us. It's this kind of feeling, this punishment, this shame meant to paralyze us. But in Romans 8, Verse 1, what does it say? It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So if there's no condemnation, then what was that attack that I was feeling when I heard the word of God calling me out on my sins, on my lack of love? What was that pain, that feeling? Not condemnation, but conviction. And conviction is good. It's the opposite of condemnation. Conviction is from God. It leads to life. It ends in joy. It makes us want to change. Instead of running away from God, we run to God. It brings a specific awareness to our sins. It has us looking to Jesus and not ourselves. Ultimately, it's a blessing. It's what the Holy Spirit does. It's spiritual surgery meant to heal and bring freedom. And I love it. One of the, my favorite examples in the, book, in the Bible is in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, we see that the people are convicted and how is it described? I'm just going to paraphrase it. You don't have to turn there. But Peter, he gives this heavy gospel message. Okay, He tells the people, you know that man that you crucified? That guy named Jesus? The one that you murdered and mocked and hung on a torture device? He was... He was actually the son of God. He was the Messiah. He was the chosen one, the Lord, the one that came to save us. And after hearing this, you would think, man, the people would feel condemned. They would say, like, "Oh, we're screwed. What did we do?" But instead, how did they respond? They responded like this. They were they were cut to the heart. And then they went to Peter and the rest of the apostles, and they're like, what do we do now? What do we do now? They weren't just, see if you see that, they weren't just emotionally moved, but they were convicted and brought to God. And my prayer in prepping this message is that I pray that we wouldn't just find encouragement in God's word on Sundays or when we read it on our own time, but that we would find good conviction that leads us to repentance, that that leads us to resolve, not to be merely hearers of the word of God or listeners to a sermon, whether it's good or bad, but rather to be doers of the word. It's not just enough to say we love one another, but we got to show love. And God himself, he models this. He doesn't just say he he loves us in his word. He shows it to us. He demonstrates it to us when he gives us his only begotten son. So pray with me as we ask God to just work in our hearts to convict us well and to let scripture do its its work. Let's pray. God, I... I pray for everyone in this room. Uh, I am always so blessed and privileged to just be able to present your word. And I pray that, God, you would convict us where we need to be convicted. You would encourage us where we need to be encouraged. You would strengthen us where we're weak. I, I pray that we wouldn't you know, when you hear this command to love one another, we wouldn't think about other people like, oh man, I wish so-and-so was here so that they could be convicted and lo- start loving others more. But that we would let Scripture speak to us and we would see where do we need to grow, where do we need to surrender, where do we need more of you in our lives. And I, I pray that we as a community that we would we would love each other well. We would point each other to Christ. We would help each other in our convictions. We'd be constant reminders to one another. That it's not just my work to present the word of God, but everyone in this room, we as a body, would be creatures of the word. That's my prayer, Lord. I trust that you're already working in ways that I can't imagine and can't fathom. And so you're amazing. We love you because you first and infinitely more loved us. And in your sweet, sweet Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to break this down, Romans chapter 13, verse 11 to 14. And we're going to break down verses 11 to 12. And it says this. And do this understanding the present time, The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul, he says, and do this, understanding the present time. Well, what is this? If you remember last week's message, the context is this. This is loving others. And so it begs us to ask the question, well, what is the connection? What's the connection between this, loving others, and time? What's the connection between love and time? Why does Paul put them together? Why does Paul use these images like daytime and nighttime, awake and slumber, light and darkness? What Paul is trying to show is that this command, this call to love, it's not a casual matter. It's not a whenever is most convenient for you or when you have your life all together type of matter or issue. But this command to love, he sees it as having utmost urgency that's the point of him bringing up these these images of time, these the, saying, bringing up these thoughts of time. There's this urgency in the matter of loving others, and so are we urgent? Are we urgent to love others when we when we heard Wilson right preach the word of God and say we, how, how we ought to think about loving others? Were we urgent in that, or we just kind of wait and look for an opportunity, or we just? Be lethargic in our love for others. Why? Why? What's so What's so important about the time? Why is it so urgent? I think about time in multiple ways. I think about how our relationships can be short on time. How me and Katie we feel short on time because we're planning to move to Colorado potentially in three months. I know, it's sad, don't cry. I know, someone just found out. Um, but yeah, God's called us to Colorado, and so I look at everyone here, right? All the people that I know and all the people that I don't know, and there's just so much of me and, and so much of Katie that wants to make the most of these next three months, that wants to meet up with more people, that wants to continue investing in this church, to say everything that I want to say and I need to say, to to get to know you, to get to know you more, to pray for you. And we feel this, this desperateness in our lack of time. Because it feels just like yesterday, we said, oh, a year from now, we'll probably be in Colorado. And time has flown by, and now we're at three months. So maybe it's that we're short on time, or maybe it's, how our lives are short on time. I think about death, and how just last month, uh, two pastors that I love and respect passed away. And for me, death is a const- Every death, every funeral is a continual reminder that our time is short. That that we can't waste what God's given us. We are here today and gone tomorrow. Or maybe when Paul's talking about time, he's talking about time in terms of ages. Anyone like Lord of the Rings here? Right? So when they talk about time, right, there's the the, the a the third age of Middle Earth, and then there's the fourth age. I know, really nerdy. There's the fourth age, the age of man, and so there's these different ages, there's these different times that we find ourselves in. You might look at the times that we're in, and we might say we're in a dark age or a technological age, but at the same time, we're also in this age where this age of Christ. If you know theology, there's a sense of like this already, not yet kingdom, but that's a whole other message. Don't got time for that. But I think what Paul is trying to say, what's most important, isn't this negative view of time, but it's this positive view of time. It's this time that, that's drawing near, of Christ's return, our Lord Savior coming again That's what he says. You know, the day is almost here. He's coming, our Lord Jesus, our Savior. He's coming back soon. It's the return of the King. There's reasons for joy and hope. Wake up, wake up! And so we wait, not slumbering, not with our eyes closed, all groggy, and in 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 a in 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 like just this kind of comatose, like zombie-like manner. But we're wide awake. Our eyes are wide open. Our bodies are moving. Our souls are invigorated. It is time to wake up because we know that Christ is drawing ever so near. It is time to live and time to love. Do you understand the present time? Because if you do, it's motivation to love urgently. And in Paul, he goes on and he shares how there's these hindrances to love. In verses twelve to thirteen, he says how the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Again, we see there's this urgency in Paul's usage of time, and then he gives this clear instruction on how to love one another. And the first part of that is putting aside, right? It's like, put aside and put on. It's like Holy Karate Kid, right? Wax on, wax off. Paul says, put aside and put on. And so the first part of that is, he says, put aside the deeds of darkness in verse 12. Well, what are the deeds of darkness? He gets specific in verse 13. He, he gives examples. He says the first, the first group is carousing and drunkenness. These are individuals who pursue harmful pleasures. Right? I was going to put pictures of drunk people on there, but I decided not to. And so we wonder, why is drunkenness, right? Why, why, why would that be a hindrance to us loving others? Well, imagine, if you will, imagine if I came to church and I was drunk, right? For one, this sermon would be a lot different from how it's gone so far, but then I also think about my ability to love you guys would be impaired, right? If the, if the the workers in our children's ministry, if they, if they came to church drunk, their ability to care and love your children would be hindered, right? I, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't trust them with your kids if they were drunk. And, and then I think about the questions, right, that Wilson challenged us to think about in order to love each other more. I, I think about how hard it is to think about those questions when we're sober-minded, how much more when our minds and our thoughts are impaired. But it's not just about getting drunk, it's this idea of in pursuing these harmful pleasures, they attract from the mind. And when our mind is attracted, when we're influenced by these pleasures, these, these other things, we're not, it, it becomes harder to love. The next group is sexual immorality and debauchery. And it's not just people who sleep around, but it's, it's this idea of people who have given in to sin and immorality and sensual pleasures to the point where two things happen. Number one is they've lost self-control. And number two is they've lost the feeling of Guilt and remorse and conviction for what they're doing. This loss of control—it's like acting like animals. Because if we, I mean, that's one of the things that makes us human, right? Is the fact that we don't give to every natural impulse. We don't give to every urge. Imagine if we did. Imagine if we gave into every natural impulse. How many people would he, would we have run over, run off the road, right? in anger how many how many people would we have slept with in lust and passion how many things would we have said and done in selfishness and regrets how many people would we have hurt because we lack self-control And then the next part that Paul says to put aside is dissension and jealousy. And these are the most obvious, right? Because you think about it, how can you love your neighbor, right? How can you love your neighbor when you carry these things in your heart towards them, when you're fighting with them, when you're envious with them, when you're attacking them? Paul, he says to put these things aside, these dark deeds and it's not just advice that he's giving. These are commands. Put aside these things, because if we're to love, a lot must go. These things that Paul lists are things that we have to examine in our own lives. I think we would be fools, prideful fools, into looking at this list and thinking that we don't have our own dark deeds to set aside. I pray we would really take a hard look. We would check ourselves unless we wreck ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's another part to this, right? Again, it's wax on, wax off. Put aside, put on. Verse 14 says this. Put on Christ. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a twofold command. In verse 12, it says to put on the armor of light, which sounds really cool, right? Like I just imagine like this armor of light surrounding me. And then in verse 14, it says clothe yourselves in Christ. In the ESV it says put on Christ. Now Here's the frustrating parts, right? Because we could read this, and it sounds good, maybe, but then we think about, man, Paul, are you serious? Like, how is that practical? It sounds so Christianese, it sounds so unhelpful. Like, are you serious, Paul? I'm struggling to love someone in my small group, and your advice to me is to put on Christ, how many of us would get so frustrated if we if we got that kind of counsel? Right? If we went to help and someone just told us to put on Christ? Like, would would we go to that person again? I don't think the problem is that this advice, this command is a bad one. I think the problem is us. I think we don't understand what this truly means which is probably why we don't give this kind of counsel. And we do and maybe we do, right? Maybe we do say to people put on Christ or look to Jesus or trust in him, but when we say it it to others it's just a cliche, it's a jargon, it's unhelpful and insincere because we don't understand it as we ought. Putting on Christ if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna preach this, it needs to be a lot more than this distant concept. It needs to be something concrete, something real. So, how do we put on Christ? Do we go out to a Christian clothing store and buy a rep the King's sweater and put that on? Do we get a, a, a hat with Jesus on it and put it on our heads? Do we wear like a white robe and dress as Jesus dressed? No. Well, similar, right? Like, putting on Christ is like putting on clothes. How many guys put on clothes today? Just Mitchell, nice. All of you guys just woke up already with clothes on and you came here, right? Well, all of you guys know how to put on clothes. I can see that. That's clear. And so when we put on clothes, we think about, we do that. that's a thing that we do daily, isn't it? It's one of the first things we do in the day. One of the first things before we go out is we put on clothes, and so in the same way, daily we need to keep Christ close to us. Christ is to be a part of our day wherever we go, whatever we do, letting our relationship with Him be closer to us than the own shirts we wear. And so, how is how is this done? First, it starts with the heart. It starts with understanding his great love for you. And then you understanding, and then you loving him back, and that's when the relationship is started. Then it's in the thought life. Right? The mind is a powerful thing. Right? I think about lines of thought, and if I start thinking about certain thoughts, it'll lead to these progressions. right? Like If I start fantasizing about Korean barbecue, right? and I start thinking about it, and I start... Like just imagining it, I start getting hungry and then I look up YouTube videos on that like guy that eats different <laughs> Korean barbecues at different price ranges. And then eventually like I continue following that line of thought and what do I do? I drive to Korean barbecue and I eat Korean barbecue. Yeah, worth <laughs> totally worth it. Right? And and not just that, but you can imagine like there's there's you follow these lines of thoughts and it shapes what you do. And so I think about how often does God guide and consume our thoughts day to day? How often do we think about him? How, think about how different our days would look if we asked God daily, moment by moment, man, is this the most loving thing I can do right now? Will, will this get me more of God? God, how should I talk to this person how should I go to work today? Or, man, I, I'm, I just don't feel like working today, God. Like, could you give me strength and energy to do what I do well? Or just imagine how different our days would be if our thoughts were consumed by him. If we meditated on his word. Putting on Christ. It's not behavior modification, Right? It's Instead, it's heart and mind transformation. It's meditating on his word, his promises daily. Those thoughts changing the way we act and live from the inside out. So how is this practical? We go back to the example I gave, right? Where I'm struggling to love that one person in my small group. I, I can't, you can't tell me what, what to really say or do, right? You could have some wise words, perhaps, but ultimately, like, people are messy, right? You don't know whether or not I should confront them or not confront them because lots of times it's case by case. Individuals are unique, and so they're approached differently. For one person, I have to be direct. For another person, I need to ask questions, Right? But I tell you to put on Christ, and how's that help? It helps like this. It helps because in your struggle to love that one guy, you start thinking and remembering about God's love for you. And it starts to change how you view that person. And now, whatever you decide to do, it's not done out of this Christian obligation. It's not done because I told you to but it's done because the love of Christ compels you. You view that person in a new light. You see them differently for, for the, a fellow wretched sinner saved by grace. Receiving Christ daily full and fully is the key to love. This changing the way we think and letting our actions be from an Overflow. This is what happens when we meditate on his word and promises daily. These thoughts change the way we live our lives and it can be applied to multiple ways. I think about how me and Katie, right, we're planning to move to Colorado. And I'm still looking for a job and she's still raising support and there's lots of reasons to be stressed and worried about the future because we won't we'll be there and there won't be community, we'll, you know, money's an issue and So there's all these reasons for me to stress and how different it looks when I think about Matthew 6, right? Where Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life. Look, look at the birds in the sky. Aren't they cared for? Look at the lilies of the field. Aren't they cared for? Your heavenly Father takes care of all of them and he loves you more. Don't be anxious about your life. The the Gentiles, the world, they, they worry about those things. Your father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious but tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. And so, what does that do? How does that shape my mind? I still care about the future. I still apply to jobs. I still work hard. But I have this peace in mind. I have this comfort knowing that, all right, so what if this one job rejects me? So, so what if things aren't going the way I've planned? I have this peace and trust that God is who he says he is, and I don't have to be anxious. Imagine if we put on Christ daily, if we meditated on his word and his promises, how different our lives would be, how shaped we would from his word. So I come back to conviction, right? And my prayer is that we, we would hear this and this conviction, right? We, we wouldn't hear this and walk away sad, we, would, we wouldn't think, man, I don't think about Christ enough. I'm a bad Christian. No. My prayer, because that's, that's, that would be condemnation, not conviction, if we walked away like that. My prayer is that we would walk away excited. Excited this coming week to think about Christ, to put on Christ and to see how different our lives, our day-to-day lives would be when we meditate upon him. When we, when we think about his promises, when we talk to him, keep him close to us like our clothes. My friend said that he, you know, he think, it's easy, it's really easy to put on Christ when everything is going our way. But it's hard to put on Christ when everything is falling apart. But it's in those times that that's when it matters most. I hope we would be excited to be transformed by putting on Christ, by having our minds renewed. That way we'd be able to test and know what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. That's my prayer, that's my hope, that we would put on Christ this week and the rest of our weeks till the day we die and God calls us home. That when we counsel each other, when we meet up with each other, one of the first advice, instructions, encouragements we would give each other, isn't it is isn't you know like just this easy self approval, but it's more it's this hard truth of, hey, put on Christ. Remember, remember who He is. Remember His word. That's my prayer and my hope. And again, it's Wilson said it, like it's not just I can't just do that alone, right? Wilson can't just do that alone. For us to be a church, a community of love, a real community, we all have to do that. We all have to hold to this truth. We all have to hold to these convictions. In order to be a church, it's not just known as a great community. But a gospel-centered community, a God-centered community, a life-changing community. And when the world sees that, they'll be amazed. They'll 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 wonder what is it that they have that I don't. I want to put on Christ too. Then, I want what they have. I want what you have. Let's pray. God, I again I confess to you my lack of love in so many ways, and I thank you and I praise you that um, you convict me well. You you don't leave me lethargic. You don't leave me thinking that everything's okay. But you 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 cut to my heart. You do spiritual surgery. You take out these thoughts and ideas that hinder my ability to live a life that matters, my ability to love others deeper and fuller. So I thank you for good conviction. And I pray that my brothers in Christ, my sisters in Christ, they too would be convicted of sins and they would find encouragement that you not only when you command us to do something when you command us to love you also provide the grace and the strength to carry it out you've given us armor of light you've given us your son to put on god I'm excited to see a church that puts on Christ daily. I'm excited to see a church that loves beyond themselves. We're all imperfect people here, but you are a perfect God with perfect love. So help us. We ask this in your mighty and matchless name. We pray, amen.